We all conspire and convene here in the back room of a comic book store on Sunset Boulevard. It's called the Nerd Melt Showroom, ladies and gentlemen. And that's where it's happening for the first show of 2014. The year that when you add the digits up comes to seven, so it can be up to nothing but good. Uh, two, yeah, thank you for that bizarre complimentary laugh. The cast of Troll 4 is here tonight, and we're so happy to have them here. It's really a bustling night on Sunset Boulevard, just several doors down from one of the shadiest liquor stores on Sunset uh, that I have seen, and they shall go nameless, Hollywood stars buying pints to go to the movies with their wife at. That happened to me there. That was so awesome. It was such a great experience. And then... To describe the nerd melt to the people listening in St. Martin and all of the errant Caribbean islands, uh, uh, it's, it's like a, uh, what if you built a room that was originally going to hold a bunch of cardboard boxes, but the room was too cold and uncomfortable for the boxes? How would you tart that up and make it a performance space? Well, one, Greg, thank you for asking, I'd, uh, I'd paint the back wall black, which is n- newish, and then I believe they have a 1974 element. This is from my... I went to Heather Elementary School in San... Heather Elementary School. Yeah, the fighting Colts. And because uh, Colts are so aggressive. Is anything more infirm, covered with a milky substance, and decidedly skittish than a Colt? Okay? If you had called them the newborn fucking kittens, you couldn't have picked a weaker symbol. I think they meant like we were cultish, we were young, springing, gambling through the fields of the night, unwilling to, uh, you know, look fear in the eye because we have no idea what we're doing. And we're just taking risks and clicking our, our hoofs in the air. But really, cults are, you know, quivery. And then they have to, you know, put their nose under their mom and whatnot. And then sometimes they get an unearthly glow if you open the door too fast. <laughs> this motion picture screen is from uh, my elementary school, as far as I can tell. <laughs> I used to see uh, documentaries like The Desert of the Kalahari and uh, what was the one that had math in it and shit? Donald Duck in Mathematic Land. Thank you. Awesome movie. Chemo the Magnificent. Uh, they showed us, uh, these are off the, t- this is just me remembering. I haven't given it any thought till I saw that bloody thing that you pull the fucking uh, screen down with. It's a black uh, squarish rectangular tube and in the middle of it is what appears to be uh, like I don't know if you've ever went to Taiwan in the 30s to the the pot tin festival where they were uh, forging unbelievably cheap metals in a bowl outside of town Uh, and it's in a handle shape if anybody knows what that means and it does look like a handle and as soon as I saw that it just keyed me back into my elementary school because a very coveted position was to go get the films from uh, uh, the, the multi- wherever they came from. And uh, I, like the, at my school, the library at Alexandria, I think is where the film library, that they would knock on a musty door and a slit would end like that and you'd have to say something in Greek or whatever and then they would close and then out would come Hemo the Magnificent on three reels. And... Uh, 
Yeah, when we got uh, videotape recorders, that was some hot shit, man. And they were the big fucking one-inch videos that were in a big rectangular thing like this. First, there was the reel-to-reels, but they didn't play those in school. Uh, by the time it got to the big cassette, that's what we got. And it would go, ka-chunk, like that. And then start, and there'd be a weird thing in the beginning in blue. But the, the projectors were the best because you had to feed the re- leader in and whatnot. And some of them had the 54321 with, you know, the, the, with the exploding frame that I, you always love before a movie starts. It would go, five, four, you know, and then the, everything goes to shit because everything melted on that frame. And all they've done is poorly hack another frame in physically using glue because that's what was awesome about cinema. It was crappy celluloid held together with bad adhesive. And you would be in a major movie theater and see shit go chop, 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 and just slip right out of the sprockets. And they'd stop the movie and you'd be right in the middle of like a James Caan movie in 1973 and be like, what the fuck, you know? The crowd starts chanting, Rollerball, Jonathan, 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 Jonathan. And then we knew the government had taken control of our theater and made the war in Vietnam carry on. Seriously, there was a lot of issues. But uh, that's what it always looked like. And and then uh, there was also slideshows, but those were hideous. And uh, then there was the overhead projector where the teacher would lick the thing and wipe their hand on it. It was so... So unhygienic, I almost died as a seven-year-old. I like, can I be excused? Why? I just want to sit outside and get some air. Uh, this is revolting. You're licking your hand and rubbing it on what is clearly toxic ink from a blue and a purple pen that you have in a little plastic thing that have white tips on them that if you leave the, if you leave the pen without the cap on it for 35 seconds, it dries up beyond all measure and you come back and no amount of spitting on it, sucking on it, or putting it in water ever moistens it again. And then you have to use it to kill one of your friends, hopefully poke their eye out in one of those horrible you're going to poke someone's eye out accidents. That don't happen as often as they might. But uh, you're, you're, you're clearly warned about it. Thank you for laughing at that. I thought it was funny, too. There was no bigger warning when I was little than, one, if you eat a sandwich and go swimming within 15 minutes, you're going to get cramps and die. Because you will sink to the bottom of the fucking three-foot pool like a stone. And no one will be able to resuscitate you. And uh, the other one was always uh, um, whatever I just said. <laughs> No, there was a lot of danger of getting your eye poked out. Uh, you, were, you were not to run with scissors, which I agree with. Uh, even in principle as a child, the running with scissors thing was a little hectic for me. It was a little on the edge for me. The kids who did it were always disturbed and had to take Ritalin and shit, so it didn't come with a hearty endorsement. It wasn't like the cool... It wasn't, there was a kid in my school named Destin one year. Destin. Yeah, D-E-S-T-I-N. Uh, and his last name was Noakes. Destin Noakes. Destin, if you're within the sound of my voice, fucking call me, boy. Uh, but Destin wore like little ascots and had lank hair and was really good looking and wore like ankle boots and shit. And I thought he was the living end because I had glasses and still sounded like this. And uh, yeah, but to be named Destin. Oh, fuck, man. That, really? Proops? All through grade school? Okay. All right. All right. What if you're named Destin and you walked into class and they were like, uh, here's our new student, his name's Destin, and all you do is go, eh. <laughs> People go, what was your name? And you're like, I don't know, I'm new. <laughs> What's anybody's name? <laughs> Why do they call it school? It's you who have to learn. <laughs> Think about it. 
So uh, that's what this room looks like. There's a black screen behind you. They've sort of slapped a few lights up. There's bizarre... Uh, what appear to be either heating ducts or cooling ducts. It's never been warm enough in here and it's never been cold enough in here. So I don't know what they are, but Terry Gilliam has lent them to the set here. I'm, I'm under... Uh, when you used to go to the cabin at your aunt's near the lake, this is what the uh, unfinished room in the, at the aunt's cabin was like. And you didn't have a, a sheets and shit, just a, quim- a comforter and maybe some throws. Maybe an afghan. That's what that room was like. There was old magazines in it and a radio that didn't work no more and a jar of nails. <laughs> what is your uncle doing? Is there going to be some sort of bizarre nail emergency that it takes place in the near future that only he will have the key to our survival because he keeps jars of nails and sometimes uh, screws. And what are those other things? Washers. <laughs> What do washers do? They don't wash. I've touched them and they're filthy and they don't taste good. When you're little, you put them in your mouth because they're, they're like candy shape and you go, mmm, metal. <laughs> I think I was 14 or 15 before I learned that lesson. Uh, and then uh, there's a little drink stand in the back where they make a person stand behind it and, uh, uh, and then nothing, really. I don't even know if there's a bathroom here. Uh, there's an outdoors where everybody goes and does things and it's... <laughs> pretty fun. I slipped down it and sprained my ankle pretty fucking seriously about three or four months ago and I'm just getting over it now so it's nice to be back. Uh, We're going to start the show and when we do it's going to be awesome but before we do uh, thank you for all the gifts people have given me tonight. Uh, I received uh, the gift of what can only be described as a a taste of old Colorado and uh, a taste of new Colorado if you will and uh, a a young lady gave me a bottle of vodka thank you very much for that this young man gave me a couple books here one is called My Wicked Wicked Ways the autobiography of Errol Flynn I read it in college I haven't read it since then here's two scenes I remember off the top of my head without opening the book Uh, one he puts coke on the end of his um, appendage uh, in order to achieve glory uh, in a yeah in a in a after dark way uh, and in another scene, he goes to Mexico and uh, is rolling with um, uh, Diego Rivera and uh, Frida Kahlo. And he goes outside with Diego Rivera and Diego Rivera roll t- and out of his pocket produces the fixins and rolls a spliff and fucking lights it. And he's like burning one with Diego Rivera right before he did the United Nations portrait, uh, you know, paintings that were shunned by the Rockefellers and shit like that. So those two scenes I remember. And also being spanked with a hairbrush by his first wife, Lily Demita. <laughs> whom he calls Tiger Lily, if I'm not mistaken in here. Somebody say, stop. Stop. Let's just see what Errol Flynn's up to. <laughs> if you don't know who Errol Flynn is, he's better looking than any male star of today. And he died in like 1957, 58, somewhere in there. Um, he didn't live very long. I don't think he was but 50 years old, maybe just over 50. Uh, his children are equally as good looking as him, by the way. He had several children. Um, he's in a bunch of movies, mostly Robin Hood and the Seahawk and uh, the Master of Ballantrae and, uh, 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 you know, Ed, Ed, Three Musketeers. Like he's in, is he in Three Musketeers? No, I'm getting it wrong. He's in the other one. Um, but in, in any case, there's a lot of uh, squash being buckled by Errol Flynn. <laughs> Everything he's in requires a costume and often a very tight costume that's simply tights with a kind of a shorty tunic over it. Girls. <laughs> And the LGBT community, get up on this. He, he smuggled more fucking Tasmanian devils than any other actor who was born in Tasmania of his generation. 
He's really good looking and he's ripped and uh, he calls everybody lads. <laughs> and uh, he's he, in the movie uh, The Seahawk, he gets over on the Queen of England, who's played by Flora Robeson, and they've given her they've given her the Elizabeth the First a bald pate, right? So she's an actress wearing this weird hairdo, and he has a monkey and he talks to the monkey and shit in it. Oh, I'm wet thinking about this movie. <laughs> Errol Flynn is on fire and is not to be denied, so don't deny yourself. That's your homework. Go rent an Errol Flynn movie. And Seahawk, what would, it, what would be the greatest ones? That would be it, right? Robin Hood? Robin Hood. Robin Hood's quite good. Robin Hood's in vibrant technicolor. And the skipper from Gillian's Island's dad is Little John, uh, as an added bonus. And I, I can't remember the guy who plays uh, the Friar Chuck. I can't remember that actor's name. But he's in loads of movies, including um, uh, uh, My Man Godfrey. Eugene Talent, right? And he, thank you, Lewis. And he uh, uh, he talks like this in every movie. So it's Friar talking like that. <laughs> like it's not. I'm from England. <laughs> Yea, verily, wouldst thou have some ale? <laughs> in in uh, I believe it's my man Godfrey. He's a society guy, and he's really rich. And his wife is unbearable. And they give the wife a scene. And then uh, he has to introduce himself to someone, and he goes, that's my wife. And he goes, that's your wife? And he goes, imagine how I feel. <laughs> and that's how he delivered every line in every movie for about 25 years. No, any movie you see him in, he'll be like this. Nerd now, what? You dropped a comic book. Uh, here we go. Uh, Errol Flynn, so just so you know, uh, I guess he's talking about making a film here. We'll just jump right in. Because our bird was smaller, we got large odds. <laughs> Four to one. It is even possible that a few Filipinos may have suspected by now our endless run of luck. Evidently, they're cheating some Filipinos in this scene. <laughs> I am so glad we stopped on this page. <laughs> Two strangers, and they seem to know more about cockfighting than the natives. <laughs> They're running a scam at a cockfight in peril of their lives. And I can assure you with Errol Flynn, a measure of rum and a dram of cocaine has been ingested. There are women hanging from his genitals that he hasn't mentioned. The fight was ready to start. Everybody was standing in the tears. As yet, Coats had not placed the venom on the bird's beak. Oh, they're going to poison the bird's beak. This he learned to do very subtly, like a magician, taking a small bit of cotton wool, which he hid between his fingers, and placing it on the bird's beak the instant before the ritual of letting the birds peck each other. Coats cotton wool. <laughs> the old days, fantastic. You realize in 70 years when someone's reading a book and they read the word smartphone, they're going to go... <laughs> Rolling. <laughs> World Wide Web. God damn. <laughs> the last speck of cotton wool slipped into his pocket unnoticed. The birds were brought together for the bite of challenge before the fight. You know what? I'm going to have to insist that in the future when I perform my show, that I usually go through the crowd and I shake hands with people and talk to people. It's going to be the bite of challenge from now on. <laughs> You and I are going to go like this. You go this way first. I go to my left. So that means you go to your left. Don't go to your right and hit me in the head. We're going to go like this. <laughs> Three times. We're going to bite at each other to bite at each other. 
You know how they do with, cock, with the cocks and the cockfight? They put them together and the cocks are fucking... They strap razors to the cock spurs too as well so they can cut each other. Oh, fucking cockfighting is wild. I mean, not that I go. I would though. I would. Sorry, you guys. I've been to bullfights. I liked it. I mean, I'm not saying the bu- it's a, something I support. Let's just start 2014 by losing every listener that I have. <laughs> I'm not for the torturing of animals. Put it in context is all I'm saying. Am I to stop the bullfight when I'm there? I am not. I'm to have a beer and enjoy it like everyone else. Uh, The birds were brought together for the bite of challenge before the fight. Remember, left first. Left. Don't fucking smash heads with me when I meet you next time. That's not the bite of challenge. That's the fucking dong of idiocy. Yeah, that's the clunk of chunk. It's, It's not good. Uh, the handlers held them face to face each picked the comb of the other well we're not going to do that (laughs) they were dropped onto the ground as the handlers went back to the corners the whole house was silent as the two birds circled two cocks that had been brought together like that would fly at each other the instant they were put on the ground or while they were in the air but these two were wary they circled far longer than two cocks ordinarily would (laughs) how many times can we get the word cock into the sentence (laughs) twice that I could count close enough to feel their comb flapping in my face (laughs) but would this be when the money was spilled (laughs) round and round they went making a fight of a carousel of slow timing a carousel of slow timing all of a sudden the other bird the flower the flower really I love it the colt I'm shaking and covered with a milky white substance Without a blow having been struck, wheeled over dead. There he was, spurs up in his death throes. Our strike by night. Went in for the needless kill, jumping on the flower and pecking at him with no mercy, little knowing that the flower was already as stiff as the last chicken in the cold freeze. <laughs> Someone else say stop? Stop. Uh, let's hope it's drugs. Uh, Hollywood now. Here we go. Oh, Cuddle Zockle. Oh. Zockel was a funny old guy. I always liked him for his screwy, mushy personality, but most other actors hated him. I'd never heard that. He messed up the English language so much they couldn't get their cues. Oh, that's why they hated him. Because of their, their own shitty vanity and having to have their cues delivered distinctly and correctly. When you're an actor, you have to be ready for anything. If improv's taught us one thing, it's this. Nothing has to be good consistently. And two... <laughs> thank you. Two, take the ball and run with it. You know what I mean? Because this is how Cuddle Zockles, he was in uh, Casablanca and he goes, uh, is, is this place honest? Is honest, this day is long. <laughs> like that, that's what he did. <laughs> and then he go like this. <laughs> Jewish doesn't begin. <laughs> he was Hungarian and he was wildly Jewish. So everything was like that. And he plays the waiter in uh, the Casablanca. You'll remember him because he belongs to the resistance. And he goes, uh, Mr. Rick, I'll do, uh, he goes, uh, clean Fritz is his name? I'll clean up. And he goes, uh, I will, Mr. Rigg, but first, uh, afterward, I'm going to think. He goes, I don't want to know where you're going. <laughs> and then when Victor Laszlo cuts his hands while they're running from the uh, police, uh, he puts the bandage on him and all that. And then he, uh, he says to the two emigres uh, who are going to come to America, you're going to America? Yes, how, I mean, uh, what time is it, Liebchen? She says, 10 o'clock. Uh, no, what clock is it, Liebchen? 10 o'clock. Such much? <laughs> and Cuddle Zockel goes, mm, you'll do well in America. <laughs> 
I didn't realize that everybody hated him because he couldn't get their gears. I let him run on. It was fun to see the effect of him on other character players. He ran off with many scenes, and that was enough to make him despised by the others. There we are. Uh, Christmas in Connecticut with Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, she's supposed to be like Martha Stewart, and she goes to a uh, cabin in Connecticut, and Cuddles is brought along because he can actually cook, and he's Hungarian, so everything's going to be goulash and pancakes with apples and shit. And... <laughs> and <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck has to flip a pancake in front of everyone. They're like, no, we want to see you do it. And she's like, I don't want to do it. And she can't fucking... And she, she fucking closes her eyes and goes like this, and it flies in the air and comes down, and the cuddles off and goes, yeah, again! And then, ah! Like, just the biggest take in the history of Jerry Lewis. Uh... <laughs> Uh, Hale couldn't stand him They hated each other I brought them together As often as I could And on this night Hale hollered Hale is uh, little John Alan Hale Sr For Christ's sake Zachlan Anytime you learn To speak English You've been here long enough And for why I should Speak English better than in English I am making more Vat is you Uh huh Thank you for that uh, I'm sorry it wasn't in the, One of the parts of the book Where he put cocaine On his member I don't know what this book is, but it looks intriguing. The Complete Social History of LSD, the CIA, the 60s and Beyond. Uh, I'm sure that everyone in this crowd has taken LSD many times and has written in their journal about it, so I don't think I have to go into this for you. The crowd's gone completely quiet. What, what I meant was you downloaded an app and drove along with one hand, but the point is this. It was like tripping. It was like tripping. I'm not going to brag about my acid experience, but I will say this. Years ago, uh, Clockwork, uh, Clockwork Orange, 2001 by Stanley Kubrick, was uh, re-released, and it was at the Cinerama Dome before they'd cut it up, and it, before it was the gym, and before it was the uh, Arclight Theaters, which are fantastic, but feel very culty to me, like you're, you're joining something when you go there. There's a very joiny feeling that I don't enjoy. I like the bar. I like the outs, you know, whatever. I, I like that there's food. You get a burger before the movie. That's not bad. Sometimes you get to the movie, and you're like, fuck, I need a burger. Uh, I remember going to see Master and Commander, and my buddy who I went with uh, uh, had a lot of drinks. And uh, as Master and Commander progressed, was giggling furiously at every scene in it because he had read every single. What's that? Patrick O'Brien is that his name? Who wrote all those Master? Of course, I kept calling the movie Ass Man, Ass Master, and Cock Commander, or whatever. I'm very funny at the movies. If you take me out, it's like that all night. And uh, uh, and. And so he really enjoyed the movie because of that. They also sell exquisite $17 caramel corn that comes in a little cup uh, and it's the stickiest thing in the, in the, in known to mankind. Uh, but it's very dear. It's very dear. It's quite expensive. Uh, but I saw, before it was that, it was the Cinerama Dome stood on its own and it used to live all by itself on Sunset Boulevard. And uh, um, I didn't even know if Amoeba was there then. This is late 90s. Late 90s? They re-released 2001. Now, you've seen 2001. The point of it was, and my father, again, these are the inappropriate movies. Like, you, you might have a child, not anybody in this room, but people who are listening <laughs> might have a child, and they might take them to see, I don't know, uh, something that's a little too hectic for kids. Because uh, sometimes movies are. Uh, even like Lord of the Rings or something, or whatever, that has lots of violence in it, and people's heads rolling and whatnot. Uh, or whatever you think is too much violence. You guys are probably so inured to it now in this generation that the thought of someone digging their finger into an organ, and you're like, oh, fucking, let's eat breakfast. Um, whereas I, of course, have retained my immense sensitivity, which is what distinguishes me from all other hosts. Um, and what's make this show uh, slow down more than anything else possibly could is the actual reference to that. So... <laughs> Uh, um, there we were, you know, walking along by the beach. No, I, I remember where we're going with this. It's just that 
everything seemed so futile at a certain point that I... I was maybe eight, maybe seven and a half, eight, and my father took me to see 2001 Late Show in Burlingame on a giant screen. I made it through about half the movie. I liked the ape part a lot. That was intriguing. Then there was the spaceship part and how I fucking followed that. And then when they went to the intergalactic, as Mad Magazine called it, Holiday Inn, uh, when they're in a hotel room, kind of, for the last part of the movie, that was perplexing. And I said to my father on the ride home, I remember distinctly in the Chrysler turning to him and going, so how did it end? And he like went, I don't know. I don't know. He's smoking a Salem. I don't know how it ended. It was, I don't, it was weird, you know? And I'm like, but so like I got the part where the computer, you know, was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the, they were in a thing. I don't know. Don't ask your mother. <laughs> And my father's great redoubt when pressed on any point uh, cinematically, uh, if you pressed him too hard, was, look, you're going to analyze it or you're going to enjoy it? I was like, we're not watching Singing in the Rain. You know what I mean? This is an Auntie Mame. This, this, this requires analyzation. There is no movie that defies you to understand it more than 2001. Instead of the, the sun rising out of the planets and, and Holst at the beginning, or, or, or who is it? Uh, also Sprock Zarth. It's not. It's Strauss at the beginning. Uh, rather than that, it should just be a bomb, bomb, bomb. I dare you to understand this movie. I dare you. It has my favorite title cards in the world, right? Uh, title cards, like a silent movie. The Dawn of Man is the first title card. And then you just see orange landscape. And then finally, the, the proto-man and whatnot. And then later, it's like, what is it? Uh, Jupiter and Beyond the Infinite is the last title card of the movie. To let you know where you're going as a viewer. It's up to you to piece together the unbelievable rapid-fire convoluted visuals that make up the trip through, again, as Mad Magazine called it, the Jupiter Museum of Op Art, where they're sliding through valleys and, yeah, going at a light speed, and all you see is Kira Delay's eye filling an entire giant screen at the Cinerama Dome for minutes at a time, blinking and then turning purple and blue and red, while all you hear is... Oh, yeah, it's good. It's fucking good. It is. And you know why? It tests you. And you need to be tested as a cinema goer. Every movie can't be Pacific Rim 3. And fucking, I know I've leaned on Pacific Rim harder than I ought to have. Everything can't be Elysium 2, Green Lantern 5, and Iron Man 54. Sometimes you have to watch a movie and go like, I don't understand what's going on, and I'm gonna fucking stay, buddy. Eat more candy if you have to, but do it. Do that thing. Uh, so my father took me to see it, and uh, it was wildly inappropriate. But uh, you really, you really must see that one. So I went to see the re, uh, re- re-release of it, and it was what, however many years ago. And I went on my own for some reason, and I, you know, I was kind of high. And uh, uh, um, the. It was the, the, the straight-up print from Kubrick's uh, farm in St. Albans or whatever, because I actually met the guy later. I had occasion to meet the guy who brought the cans over, and he flew with the cans on a plane. All of the cans of 2001, of which there are a lot of giant 35-millimeter cans, or whatever it's in at, at the Cinerama Dome. 70? Yeah, and like Cinerama, right? 
I think 2001 might be one of the last great. It's in Cinerama in the beginning, right? And the, and the sound and everything. And there's an entreact, an overture. Oh, yeah, it's got music. There's music in the theater that plays with lights half down for half an hour before the overture. And then there's an overture. Then the curtains open. And then... Oh, that takes... The, you're there forever. I'm in line outside. And I'm in line. And who do I see in the fucking line? Dr. Timothy Leary. And I thought, you know what? I'm at the right show, man. I was too young in 1968. Yeah, he was there, and I thought, that's so awesome that you're here. <laughs> the cosmos applaud. The little space baby that rules the universe at the end of the movie, by the way, that's what he's doing. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's going like this. That's the space baby applauding in his amniotic sack. <laughs> it's Arthur Clarke, but it's like Lovecraft, because it's greasily flapping. <laughs> That's the difference. With Poe, there's blood. And shrieks. You don't hear them. Because you're always inside the insanity of whoever's committing the fell acts. But there's blood and screaming and shit and horror. In Lovecraft, there's a guy that looks like a backwards lobster walking <laughs> down a hallway going... <laughs> like, really? And then a pineal gland comes out in a really upsetting sexual way and fucks you over. That would be the big difference, I think. Thank you for that keen insight, Greg. I'll be thanking myself. We have to start. I'll be thanking myself as the show goes on. Uh, this is the smartest man in the world, Proopcast. If you're listening out there in Proopcast land, thank you so much for joining us once again. If you're on your bicycle, watch out! Um, if you're listening on the subway or the tube or the underground or whatever, uh, the L... Uh, right on. Um, that, that person across from you, they work for the government. Think about it. <laughs> if you're at home making tea, your teapot, it's been acting pretty weird lately, right? <laughs> now, 2014 is going to be the best year ever. If you want to write us uh, at our email, it's fanmail4greg at gmail.com. If you want to ask me a question, it's smartest at a special thing. I think we're going to do one later. Oh, Matt's already checked out, but Ryan... <laughs> Are you there, Matt? There you are. We're going to do one later in the month, right? With, with Ryan, probably? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes, he says. You'll know Matt from the uh, Jimmy Pardo Never Not Funny podcast, as well as having a, uh, been a, a lot... Uh, I don't know how to describe his participation in this. Magellan crossed the world first. <laughs> Matt asked me to do a podcast. Almost the same feat. <laughs> Uh, less guys died doing mine, so a more worthy endeavor in some ways. Uh, we have T-shirts. They're smartest man in the world. They're they're back, honey. They're back, and uh, we also have kittens McTavish ones and kittens McTavish hoodies. I don't even own a kittens McTavish hoodie, and I really need to because they're cute as the Dickens. They're they're gray, and they have a kittens McTavish on them, and on the back it says Raspberry Dawns and shit. They're cute. They're cute. Um, when we first put them out, there was some hee-haw, chitter-chatter, and fifth-foodle about, like, the masculinity of the shirts and uh, whether women would be attracted or whether only women would buy the kittens ones. And I have found, in my experience, and the um, unbelievable breadth and scope uh, and catholicity that I bring to each fucking waking moment, uh, that uh, you'll get more. 
as a man if you wear the kittens. Because what it does is say, I'm sensitive. Okay, those two barriers are broken down. I don't have to look at your shoes or spend that much time with you to start. (laughs) We still have to eat together and I have to see how you treat people who work in a lower capacity than you. But once those tests are done, right, and how you smell and how you act, and if you're on your phone all the goddamn time while I'm trying to get with you. Those are the tests that a man must go through. But I think in order to pass the first two tests, pretty breezily, fellas, uh, a kitten's McTavish hoodie or a kitten's McTavish uh, t-shirt, you can roll smokes up in the arm. (laughs) You know what I mean? If you want to butch it up and shit. (laughs) Right? Right? If you want to, uh, 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 if you want to Nicholas Ray, everybody, everybody Nicholas Ray the place. You know what I'm saying? Fucking rubble without a cause and shit. Just fucking... Or, 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 who, 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 I don't even know who directed The Wild One, the, but the brand new movie, The Wild One. She goes, uh, what are you rebelling against? And he goes, what do you got? <laughs> if you're wearing the kitten shirt when you say that, think about it. <laughs> what you need to do is find a cigarette machine, and that's going to be very difficult here in California. You're going to have to go to Georgia or one of, Texas, one of the states that still has cigarette machines. There's a few in, in down south. Uh, go to one of those and lean against it with your kitten shirt on. And when those country girls come up to you, yeah, when the country girls come up with the big hair and the, and the Lee jeans and whatnot, and their boyfriend's at the bar, and he looks like an extra from the movie Footloose. <laughs> He's wearing a white cowboy hat and whatnot. Yeah, think about it. Yeah, what are you rebelling against? And you just go, kittens. <laughs> Why are you rebelling against kittens? Because I'm tired of their softness. <laughs> I think things should be hard sometimes. <laughs> Grr. I mean, down, you know, you know guideline. Not a, not a script. <laughs> Signposts. Signposts. If you say grr, that might be a little panicky for some people, might not. We're here tonight, he said, metaphysically. Uh... We'll be in uh, Philadelphia. Well, by the time this is aired, we won't. But you need to know that I'm heading for Philadelphia tomorrow. And it's, it's bloody cold there. And I'm, I'm up for it. Uh, Cheesesteak in the snow. Boom, 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 boom. Cheesesteak in the snow. Boom, 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 boom. Will it keep its cheesesteak glow? Boom, 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 boom. Or will it get cold and blow? Boom, 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 boom. Uh, there's a cheesesteak place around the corner from the hotel I stay at in Philly. And the characters that come into this fucking place in the middle of the night, I'm wearing a suit and tie and, I'm, and have a little man bag with me. So I am the diplomat from Fruitopia. <laughs> and dudes roll in of every denomination. There's, there's gay, there's straight, there's gangbangers, there's fucking straight-up Philly dudes who act sort of like straight-up Jersey dudes, but different. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's that whole thing. And it's two guys behind the counter, two guys holding down a whole room full of fucking drunks. And they make pizzas and, and cheesesteaks and cheese fries. Cheese fries. That's the reason I look this way. <laughs> there's nothing like a cheese fry. I'm not eating them this weekend, you guys. I am not eating them. The New Year's come, and it's time for us to put away childish things. I forswear the cheese fry. Maybe half an order, like John Travolta. There's no calories if you eat them slowly. 
But if you eat them slowly, the cheese congeals. So time is of the essence. Let us make haste to the Philadelphia cheesesteak place. I'm only saying. It's like, uh, I'm not omniscient or prescient in any way, but like uh, Dr. Zayas in Planet of the Apes, I can foresee my destiny. And tomorrow night I will be in Philadelphia. Maybe not tomorrow, but one day this weekend. One of the four days this weekend. Yes, weekends have four days for comedians. <laughs> I will find myself at the cheesesteak place. And they'll go to go, and I'll go, yeah. <laughs> because there's a lot of funk on YouTube. <laughs> we'll be at the Helium Comedy Club. On the 13th uh, of January, we'll be at the Cine Family. The Greg Proops Film Club is going to be a separate podcast from The Smartest Man in the World. Uh, we're going to have all of our pictures on it Eyes Without a Face, uh, 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 Le Samurai. Um, we're going to show Women on, the, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown on the 13th, which is a superb film by Almodovar. Uh, Pacey, how do I describe it? Zany, unpredictable. Uh, there's no describing the plot. That's how uh, effervescent this movie is. A woman has sex with a guy, and she comes and tells her friend, and she's like, oh, my God, it was the hottest sex I ever had. By the way, he's a Shiite terrorist. <laughs> it's fucking good. Um, this one, and I think... Uh, what is it? Lies My Mother Told Me, is it? What's the one I'm thinking of? All About My Mother. Those are good. I also, what was the one where she was in a coma? Tell her, tell her anything? Talk, no. Talk to her. Talk to her, thank you. It couldn't have been a simpler title for me to forget. <laughs> Years ago, I was playing in New York City, at a club called Caroline's, and uh, the host was a very nice uh, young man named James Smith, and uh, I forgot his name. His name was James Smith. <laughs> He was hosting. As I went up on the stage and he was introducing me, I went, what's your, what's your last name again? Because I'd remembered his first name and he went, Smith. <laughs> really, even if I'd guessed in the most mundane of imaginations, just said the word Smith. And let's hear it for fucking Mr. Smith. <laughs> No, I had to ask. Uh, we'll be back at the Bar Lubitsch on the uh, 6th of February. On the 15th of February, we'll be back here at the Nerd Melt for another exciting night. That's a Saturday night, you guys. I'm so excited how many people are here on a Tuesday night. Saturday night's going to be like octopi. Uh, mini octopi. Octopies. Uh, and the 19th, we'll be back at Bar Lubitsch. That's right. I do two podcasts in one week in L.A., seven blocks apart, one for $10, one for free. I must be crazy. The show is free to download every week. Uh, on the 22nd of February, I think we're going to be in Bellingham at uh, Ryan Stiles' gaff, which is called the Upfront Theater and a little improv theater he has in Bellingham, which is a, a, a delightful uh, community. An hour and a half? Hour and 45? From Seattle. Uh, and then we'll be at South by Southwest in March, um, the 8th and 9th of March. I know it's South by Southwest. And I played there, I think, two years ago. And my opening line was, um, this is like playing for an entire crowd um, who wrote a bad review of the last airbender on their blog. And so they didn't love me the way I thought they were going to. 
I don't think the regular public is allowed in. It's, it's kind of a tech conference. Anyways, I'll be there. I'll probably play Austin some other time, too, and like that. And then hopefully this year, again, uh, London, uh, Berlin. We'll see where we end up and shit like that. And happy birthday to our friend from Berlin who's come here tonight. What's your name, sir? Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Hi. Uh, happy birthday, Ashley. Um, uh, uh, it's the birthday today. Speaking of birthdays, January 7th is the birthday of uh, Zora Neale Hurston. Uh, she would be 123 years old, yes. She wrote uh, many famous books. Uh, the most famous one, of course, might be um, Their Eyes Were Watching God. Uh, but she wrote uh, zillions of other books and articles as well. She was a polemicist, a dramatist, uh, a writer, an author, uh, an, an activist. She joined the Harlem Renaissance in the 20s. Uh, she came from Edenville, Florida, which is a very unique community in the United States, as it was uh, given up by a white guy named Mr. Eaton uh, to a group of black people who had enough money to buy a township. And it has remained uh, over, over this time uh, uh, largely black. I looked up the contents of its population today on the Wikipedia, which, as you know, is unbelievably accurate in all regards. <laughs> so consider these ballpark figures, but it had 95% black and then 4% white and then uh, there was the hilarious other, which I love. <laughs> People are walking around with two eyes on one side of their head, a mirror in their skull. I just wear a balloon and speak in multicolored bubbles. Okay, you're other. <laughs> Uh, here's a couple of quotes from her. Um, she was part of, the, as I say, the Harlem Renaissance with uh, um, uh, uh, Langston Hughes and uh, Wallace Thurman. And uh, Alice Walker is largely responsible for her being resurrected. And I, by that, I, I literally mean resurrected. She was buried in an unmarked grave and did not enjoy great success in her latter years as an author as she was out of print. And Alice Walker has done a great deal uh, to bring uh, Zora Neale Hurston to the fore, and, and quite rightly. Here's a few quotes from her. and then we'll, Let me give you a couple of her titles of her books, and then we'll move on here. The Gilded Six Bits, uh, which is in a short story, a short story in a book uh, uh, that a fellow in Boston gave me earlier, uh, or rather a couple of months ago, when we played Boston, uh, called A Collection of Negro Literature. That'll give you an idea of when it was released uh, during World War, uh, two, uh, World War II. And uh, The Gilded Six Bits is, in, is featured in that book. Mules and Men, that's nonfiction. Their Eyes Were Watching God, her, possibly her most famous novel. Uh, Seraph and the Suwannee, uh, a novel she wrote when she was overseas, and it had nothing to do with her trip overseas. She wrote a novel about something else while she was... She traveled extensively around the world. In any case, here's a couple quotes, and then we'll push on, because... She is a most valid uh, American and, a, and a, a beautiful person to um, respect on this day of January 7th when this is being recorded. I know that Anglo-Saxon mentality is one of violence. Violence is his religion. He has gained everything he has by it and respects nothing else. Mm. Uh, how pithy that one is. And uh, for someone like myself who uh, is incessantly studying Columbus and Alexander the Great and Caesar, how true. Uh, <laughs> Or let's go even closer to home, Dick Cheney, <laughs> Obama, let's go all the way. Uh, sometimes I feel discriminated against, but it does not make me angry. It merely astonishes me. How can any deny themselves the pleasure of my company? <laughs> it's beyond me. Fantastic quote. Uh, a thing is mighty big when time and distance cannot shrink it. That one you'll often see on posters of like El Capitan or Yosemite or something. But it's worthy nonetheless. Consider what she's saying. Uh, when time and distance cannot shrink it. Because time and distance are the two things that wear uh, on, on 
moments in our memory and events in our lives and things that happened. Mm. No man may make another free. Mm. That's not said often enough. Um, there is some, unless you're Brad Pitt. There, uh, there is some, that was a joke, but it, Jesus. <laughs> Everybody's so serious here tonight. First, we're going to do, what is it called? The killing stroke or whatever? The, the biting. We're going to do that. Then we're all going to go buy a half pint of peppermint schnapps at that liquor store three doors down. And you're going to run into someone from TV who's going, oh, I'm going to see 12 Years a Slave with my wife, but I'm just picking up a thing. I'm getting some Southern Comfort so I can make the movie. You know, fucking. Uh, there's something about poverty that smells like death. I don't think anyone else ever said that, and it's so bloody true. I do not weep at the world. There's a, there's a lot of quote, as my wife pointed out. And by the way, my wife uh, uh, insisted, not insisted, uh, rather uh, uh, reminded me that it was uh, Zora Neale Hurston's birthday today. And uh, was, uh, yeah, uh, but she gave me this quote. And there's a little bit that goes before it, but I don't have it. It's, uh, uh, this is where it picks up. I do not weep at the world. I'm too busy sharpening my oyster knife. Yeah. Uh, and this one I love because it's so true. Uh, what, what, I don't remember which philosopher said it. If, God, if, if there was no God, we'd make it in our image, right? And we do. Uh, gods always love the people who make them. Of course they do. Uh, a couple of moments and then we'll go on here. Let's see. One, someone wrote me a letter, uh, as I said, on familyinforgreg at gmail.com. Uh, in Selkies, this is from Edith. In Selkies, uh, that was two or three episodes together. I think it was the one we did in um, uh, Dublin. A Selkie is a mermaid, which I did not know. It's like a Gaelic word. Uh, someone gave me a book of uh, Gaelic folktales and all this jazz. And there's, uh, you know, all the spooky stuff and cows that talk and whatnot. And, and yeah, oh, yeah. And then uh, it's Irish folktales. And then, and then there's mermaids that come up and enchant people and whatnot. And I said, what's a Selkie? And they all went, a mermaid. Uh, and they twinkled at me. The difference between Irish crowds and Los Angeles crowds is Los Angeles crowds nod um, sadly and mournfully at things that oughtn't be. <laughs> they go like this, mm, that's an injustice. <laughs> and Irish crowds go, oh, because oh, today. <laughs> oh, and there'll be poor people dying, will there be? Yeah, me, me grandmother died just like that. <laughs> She's dead now. <laughs> God carry a bit of her with me. <laughs> In Selkie's, you admitted that you can never tell the difference between implication and inference. This has gone round and round, and I'd like to put a stop to it tonight. Uh, my friend Jeff Davis, you'll know him from the Harmontown podcast, uh, has uh, many times uh, brought this up to me. I, I've asserted a thousand times, I don't care anymore. <laughs> it's not like flammable and inflammable, which are interchangeable. <laughs> Flammable and inflammable are interchangeable. Inflammable means the same thing as flammable. That just means flammable. If something's inflammable, it's flammable. If it's flammable, it's inflammable. I know there's a difference between an implication and an inference, but Kitten's McTavish. While clarifying that I don't think it matters in the least, thank you, 
have you ever conquered this particular grammatical windmill? Does one conquer a windmill? Yeah, if you're in Cervantes, you conquer a windmill. (laughs) When I go to a windmill, I light up a joint and look at it and go, look at that thing go round. That is wild, man. I've never understood the principle. You know, right? I pay homage to windmills. I don't fucking conquer them. Uh, Allow me to illustrate the difference. All right, shine a light. Uh, implication is the act of the speaker who implies something. Inference is the act of the hearer who infers. Well, that clears it up. If you imply you're speaking, if you're inferring, you're hearing. She implied I was drunk when she wrinkled. What? Well, fuck you. Oh, I see. It was simply an example. I inferred that she was implying something. My inference was that there was a heavy-duty implication coming down. She implied I was drunk when she wrinkled her nose and asked, Haven't you had enough? I inferred it was time to leave when the barkeep held up an empty bottle and said, We're out of vodka. (laughs) Thank you, Edith. That cleared it up. Here's a story my wife sent me on this very topic. Not inference and implication, but rather inebriation in the face of all that's good and right and true. Um, Peter O'Toole passed last year, and there's really no filling that void. Um, uh, If you haven't seen his movies, I did the show where I did his obituary in a place called Bellevue, Washington, which is an exquisitely gifted place in so much as that they're solvent beyond all measure. Um, It's Microsoft World Headquarters, and there's no homeless people on the streets of Bellevue, Washington. That'll give you an idea of the atmosphere. Having said that, the crowd uh, did not altogether understand, I think. I'm not diminishing the crowd in Bellevue. I adore playing there. However, their knowledge of Peter O'Toole was not as voluminous as I had hoped it would be. Encyclopedic is not how I would describe their knowledge of Peter O'Toole's oeuvre. Scant. (laughs) Cursory. Glancing. None. (laughs) Newell fucking point. But I assume that y'all know who all y'all know who Lawrence of Arabia is. Lawrence of Arabia stars Omar Sharif and Peter O'Toole. And years ago, my wife and I went to see uh, uh, this exhibit and it was called The Treasures of Toot Uncommon and it was at LACMA or something and we went to like an opening or whatever with some buddies and they, they had tickets and there was I think there was drinks and shit it was good um, however they didn't have the, the ad for the, the, the Treasures of Toot Uncommon was the golden sarcophagus the one that you always see where his face is beautifully etched in lapis lazuli and he's got a curvy turquoise cane with lots of blue uh, stones in it and whatnot and it's unbelievable pounded gold that you know took hours and hours and hours and, and untold workmanship to put this magnificent piece of ancient which of course is just but a, a, a piece of flotsam and the comprehensive ocean that that was ancient Egypt, right? We're talking 5,000 years of civilization and unbelievable artistry, almost all in the same theme, if you can believe that, for the, 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 the thematic unity of Egyptian art. In any case, that wasn't there. But two of his wives, sarcophagi, were there, uh, Shiva and someone else, and, and they were beautiful as well. But at the end, you couldn't help but go like... <laughs> 
you know what you want to see. You want to see the golden mask. They did, however, have a gaming table that had jackals and, and, uh, uh, and, and different figures that moved up and down an unbelievably oblique, impenetrable, two-sided, like it had like maybe three rows on it, and it was black lacquer, and you moved the pieces up and down, and you threw these weird dice to move the pieces, and that was just extraordinary to see a fucking table game that the Egyptians played, right? Especially the high-born ones who had golden figures and shit like that. Uh, in any case... We put on the headphones, you know how you get the headphones, which I don't usually do, but we did for this one for some reason. I detest the headphones generally because they go like, the work of Casper David Friedrich is to be a good, you know, and you're like, well, fuck you, I don't, I'll read the fucking legend underneath it and I'll, you know, make up the rest. That's what history is. Um, right? You think historians are doing something else? Um, they're making, they're filling in blanks. They probably did this. It's like, it's likely they did that. Uh, instead, I wore the headphones. This one, and fantastically, Omar Sharif, the most famous Egyptian actor. Uh, he he is from Egypt. He's from a, a rich family in Egypt. He plays uh, 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 what is he, Ali Ben Sharif, or whatever, in fucking Lawrence of Arabia and shit. And he's the only legitimate Arab actor in the movie. Albeit, he looks like the best-looking guy that ever walked the face of the earth. Him and Peter O'Toole together, you're like, oh my god. That's why the movie's a success. <laughs> We've talked about the movie a thousand times. I won't go into it again. The first half of the movie is a triumph. The second half of the movie is perplexing. <laughs> Yet, Omar Sharif and Peter O'Toole keep the magic going because anytime shit fails, David Lean goes to a close-up of one of them or the other. <laughs> the whole movie of Dr. Zhivago is a close-up of Omar Sharif. Trust me. When you see it, you will agree with me. And Omar Sharif has a fantastic speaking voice. And when we put on the headphones at the Treasures of Tutankhamun, it was these are the treasures of Tutankhamun. I am Omar Sharif. <laughs> and my wife and I, with our headphones on, across the room from each other, both went, whoop. <laughs> you love him, I fear him. Mm hmm. Lawrence of Arabia stars Omar Sharif and Peter O'Toole once kept outrageous comic Lenny Bruce out of jail by refusing to leave a Los Angeles police station without him. They arrested as part of a drugs raid on Bruce's Hollywood home where the comic had been shooting up just minutes earlier after a night out with Omar Sharif and Peter O'Toole. <laughs> Sharif was sober and decided to call, use his phone call at the jail to call Sam Spiegel, who produced Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> He also produced Bridge on the River Kwai and, and later a Harold Pinter movie called Betrayal. Uh, Sam Spiegel uh, was fat and dated teenage girls and had a cigar and talked in a broken accent like this. Yeah, he was the epitome of a Hollywood producer. What does that mean? He procured girls for other men. Did he make some classics? Undeniably. He made at least three Hollywood classics. If you don't think Lawrence of Arabia and Bridge on the River Choir are fucking worth watching, honey, baby, they're fucking worth watching. There's very little dialogue from women in either movie. Bridge on the River Choir, there's a nurse and some sort of hamong girls who get to go, oh, you're so big, I like to soap you. <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia has no dialogue from women. At one point, you see the Arab women go, oh, that's it. <laughs> Let's get back on track. 
Lenny had a record and Peter was drunk and he was drunk and stoned. So at three in the morning, meaning Lenny had a record, it doesn't mean he had a, an LP record. It means he had a fucking criminal record of heroin abuse, marijuana busts, and fucking every type of fucking mayhem. Uh, I called the Beverly Hills Hotel where Spiegel was staying and he was sleeping. They, they woke him up and I said, Sam, it's Omar. And he said, Omar who? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This crowd's taken a while to get that joke. In 1962 in Hollywood, there's only one Omar. In fact, there's only one Omar now, unless you think Omar Epps has superseded Omar Sharif, which he may have in some ways. Is this Omar Epps, Sam Spiegel said? <laughs> They woke him up and I said, Sam, it's Omar. And he said, Omar who? I told him you were in jail. We were in jail with Lenny Bruce. And he said, you're nuts. You kids are going to ruin me. <laughs> I'm doing it with the voice of Max from the movie All About Eve. <laughs> because I believe that's what Sam Spiegel sounded like. I don't know what he sounded like, but he should have sounded like the character of Max from the movie All About Eve, who talked like this. She loves you. Also, she is drunk. <laughs> They sent some lawyers to the precinct at three in the morning. Uh, I don't know how much juice your friends have. <laughs> like say tonight later in the evening, something ran afoul. Like you were smoking dope at the Denny's down on Sunset over. Yeah, right near where KTLA is. You know this Denny's I'm talking about. You're huffing a bone in the parking lot and a fucking LAPD pulls up or the sheriff or some shit. And you're like, oh fuck, no, really? <laughs> Are lawyers going to come? <laughs> Ask yourself that question before you, before you diminish Sam Spiegel's pederasty. <laughs> Consider the fact that he was able to mobilize groups of lawyers to release Lenny Bruce and Omar Shari from fucking jail. Imagine that. Uh, and they got us out. But Peter was in love with Lenny Bruce by now, and he didn't want to go without him, even though he had a record, right? Sam was going out of his mind and finally we got Lenny Bruce released with us. They fought to get Lenny Bruce released. That's the coolest story of the year. Uh, there's nothing cooler than Peter O'Toole and, uh, and Omar Sharif, who's still alive, by the way, and I believe lives in the Ritz Hotel in Paris and is only required to come down and play bridge and hang out at the bar sometimes. Uh, the boring preacher part begins pretty soon. I want to read you one little thing here uh, and then we're going to... Um, yeah, we have time. Uh, this is a book that a young lady gave me in Bellevue, Washington, having diminished Bellevue beyond all measure. <laughs> it's called Contradictionary, a Bestiary of Words in Revolt. Uh, so it is an a lexicon, but it's uh, abstruse and uh, also lefty and anarchic. I, I can't believe I used the word anarchic. I thought I'd go my whole life without using it. I just used it. I'm sorry. <laughs> if I use the word shambolic in the next couple of minutes... <laughs> Someone take my dick out, put coke on it, and beat it with a cane. I want to die like Ramon Navarro tonight. I'm so sorry I said anarchic. I meant, you know, seditious. Uh, plagiarism. 
Just as those who hold power do not pocket conscription, neither should their foes. Anything they say can and will be used against them. Mm, Interesting definition of plagiarism. Conscription is the enlistment of people against their will into a force. In other words, what we would call, if we were in the Magellan days, press ganging. (laughs) Where they would come through town and just knock on your door and take your uh, anybody able-bodied men uh, of any age and put them on a boat. Popular, appealing to the lowest common denominator. (laughs) See democratic. (laughs) Alternately, a political term meaning of the people, always hotly contested to who exactly deserves the the. Uh, No, that's a good thing. Power, a property often conflated with authority. Um, I have another one here, and it's from... Do you? Yes, of course you do. Mm, But not there. Where was it? Are you going to continue talking to yourself? <laughs> yeah. This one's from Noam Chomsky, and I just thought it was a groovy way to start the year. No, that's not. <laughs> All right, fuck it. We'll find it one day. Uh, in any case, here's a couple quickies, and we'll just blast right through this here. Um, Medea Benjamin, who works with Code Pink, um, and I got this off of... Uh, uh, the Smirking Chimp, but you can find it on many different websites, um, was wrapping up last year, 2013, not the lucky 20147 year. And with all the shitty things that happened last year, she was touching upon a couple of groovy things that happened, and I thought I'd hit a couple quick ones before we uh, moved on. Uh, Edward Snowden's rocked the world of NSA spying. When Edward Snowden first blew the whistle, he said his greatest fear was not what the government would do to him, but that nothing would change. Uh, six months later, the cascading effects have, according to the Washington Post, made themselves felt in Congress. I think we can feel every day that the media is desperate not to tell this story and that the government's desperate not to have it happen in front of our eyes. But it is and it will be and it will carry on doing that. All of the giant corporations, Google and whatnot, have had to answer to this. All of us have had to look at ourselves and go, we're still using our phones and shit like that, even though we know this is all going on. Other people on the other side have been saying the whole time, well, if you believe that every moment of information in your life is being watched by the government, then that's too extreme and la, 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 la. My position is, I don't think there's anything the government wouldn't do to maintain their power over us at all times. So just consider that. Are you saying that they're listening to the show right now? The saddest agent in the entire government is. I don't care what you think of Edward Snowden as a person or whether you think he's a hero or not. I know that Obama said last year, our president, that he's not a hero. And to that, to me, that means when someone at the, at the apex of the dominant paradigm tells you someone's not a hero, that they are, in fact, uh, inclined to be heroic. Whether it's through altruistic actions or intentions of their own, no matter in this case. What's important is the dissemination of information in this age of information disseminating. Uh, so I believe that the fact that we know now that uh, spying is prevalent and that you may recall the president of Brazil, uh, the president of Germany, that many other entities are involved in this, not just us and our crappy shitty phones and what we're buying at the fucking supermarket, but... The security of the entire fucking world is being imperiled by the fact that America feels we have this uh, wild boar mentality where we just get to go crazy. Our hemisphere is protected by an insane quadruped. uh, And we get to do whatever we want, whenever we want. And there's no course of law and no recourse for the rest of the world. Because who's going to fucking call us on it now? Basically is our foreign policy and has been for the last few years. And I don't think that's a groovy state of affairs. Is it changing? To be sure. And that's why. Um, 
She mentions the Pope. I think that's cute. <laughs> the Pope was person of the year. I think when you make the head of a corporation that's been a corporation for 2,000 years, <laughs> can you think of another corporation that's been in business as long as the Catholic Church? They're an extension of the Roman Empire. When, uh, <laughs> when Julius Caesar was assassinated, Mark Antony uh, gave his oration over his dead prone body in front of the crowd at the Forum in Rome. Mark Antony was Pontificus Maximus. The Pope, this Pope, our cute little Pope, the Franciscan Pope, the one we like, the new one, the one who likes queers kind of and one who hates corruption a little bit and the one who thinks fucking boys is bad sometimes. That Pope is also Pontificus Maximus. So the continuity, there's nothing else that you can mention to me in the modern world, not baseball, not people's uh, bloodlines, not anything that has the continuity of the, uh, uh, the corporation of the Catholic Church that goes back well into the BC era. Uh, as Will Durant said, and uh, it's a quote I'm fond of, uh, uh, the, um, Christianity is the pagan world's last gift to, to, to modern society, right? They gave, out of paganism came Christianity and we're still fucking dealing with the Pope being on the cover of Time magazine in the year 2014, which makes me smile. Because at least he's okay. Uh, he washes the feet of young prisoners. He kissed the guy whose head was unspeakable. You saw it. Uh, uh, and this woman, he's certainly injecting a new spirit into the moribund, scandal-ridden Catholic Church. He'll inject even more of a new spirit when, in my estimation, he allows women to be humans in the Catholic Church and absolutely admits uh, that uh, the, the raping of children goes on all the time and that those priests have to be taken out of the church as opposed to just moved to South America or Africa. Or whatever. <laughs> but there's that. Uh, Low-wage workers rise up and say low pay is not Okay. Uh, around the country, fast food and other low-wage workers, that was McDonald, Walmart, uh, and all around the world. And Bangladesh, after the blaze in April, uh, killed 1,100 people. Uh, they got a 77% pay increase, uh, the garment workers in Bangladesh. So don't think it doesn't fucking work. And don't think there's no hope. It works all the time. The state of Washington has a higher uh, minimum wage than any other place. Things change slowly, you guys, real slowly for our purposes, but they do change. A gay marriage is like apple pie. I think that's a cute phrase. Um, the, de the Defense of Marriage Act, Illinois, became the 15th state to legalize same-sex marriage. Uh, Illinois, Rhode Island, Delaware, Minnesota, California, Hawaii, and New Mexico added to the list of marriage equality states. 2014 might not only see more gay marriages, but basic LGBT rights in the workplace as well. We can only hope. Uh, the death penalty is dying slowly but steadily. This is going to gross you out, but it's true. Um, the number of people executed in the U.S. last year was 39. That's the lowest since capital punishment was reinstated in the 70s. Um, capital punishment is revolting, you guys. First of all, um, anything that you would allow uh, the government to execute its citizens, never mind that they're bad people and they killed a lot of people and they should die in an eye for an eye and all that fucking Orange County nonsense. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
when you trust the lives of citizens to the government and they have in their power in the judicial system to execute their own, it is a power that can be abused. It is a power that is abused. It is a power the government ought not to have. So, you know, you call me a fucking libertarian, if you will. But uh, the I and let me just point it out one more time. The neighborhood we're in. Saudi Arabia, Iran. Oh, I think Iran's going to stop, by the way. They're going to stop capital punishment. Uh, uh, um, Russia and China. Those are the countries that execute people a lot. And a bunch of African countries. So it's a bad neighborhood and you don't want to be in it. <laughs> it's a bad neighborhood. Uh, Uruguay. That might have been the most uh, significant thing that happened last year. Because Colorado and Washington, and we're getting to that in a second. Uruguay became the first country to fully legalize marijuana. Back home, Washington, Colorado. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Also, Illinois and New Hampshire joined the 18 other states that have legalized marijuana use. Soon you'll be, well, this is what she says. Um, imagine an entire country, and not just an entire country, but a country that's adjacent to Brazil and Argentina. And therefore, in South America, which is uh, near, quite near, Colombia and Venezuela, um, the drug trade of the world emanates from South America. And Uruguay took it upon themselves to stop the nonsense about incarcerating people, the waste of money. Uh, now, granted, they're a small uh, example because they only have, what, three, four million people. So they can do things on a small level. Like when you hear Scandinavian countries, like, no one's sick and shit like that. We as Americans go, but everyone should be sick and just die. That's how the government works. <laughs> It's not Chevron's responsibility to save people or McDonald's or Bank of America. They're supposed to just make money errantly and wantonly as much as they want until the end of time. It's nobody's responsibility to care for anyone else ever. That's America. <laughs> We're number one. That Duck Dynasty guy, he wants to fuck a 15-year-old. That's so cool. Uh, Uruguay went uh, uh, the whole nine yards, and their president is to be uh, commended. Uh, let's see here. Mm, that one's too depressing, and we'll move on. Um, this is from CNN. A, a, a woman named Frida uh, Gitis, G-H-I-T-I-S. Uh, it was um, 10 women who shaped 2013. We're not going to go through all of Frida's list because I don't believe in all of Frida's list. But you're a man. How dare you? Mm. Watch me cock block you, Frida. <laughs> She's a world affairs columnist for the Miami Herald and World Politics Review. D, D, da, da. Uh, these are the ones she picked. And I, I just wanted to hit on them because I think, like the things Medea Benjamin was talking about in her Code Pink article, um, we have every reason to be optimistic going into 2014 and into the new millennium. Um, so many changes are going to happen and everything's going to happen so rapidly. And the next 15 or 20 years are going to be wildly exciting. And when I'm dead and you guys take over the world, it's going to be great. <laughs> Uh, there, will there always be douchebags and dickheads? Uh, to be sure. <laughs> You'll never get rid of all of them. But think about the good things uh, because it's more positive that way. And these things really happen. Uh, a, a country on earth legalized marijuana. Two states in the United States. W well, not Washington yet because they're dragging ass, but they will in six months' time. You, you can go into Colorado as a Californian and buy a quarter ounce of weed and go to your fucking hotel room and burn it if you want, whatever you want. That's progress. You can get married if you're a gay person in 15 states. That's progress. The world's getting better, slowly, slowly. Uh, Malala Yousafi, and there, there's not enough you can say about this young girl. Um, she was the one who was nominated for the Nobel Prize this year. She didn't get it. Um, 
She was shot in the face, as you may recall, um, by the Taliban. Uh, they walked into her school van and they asked for her because she had been such an activist in her school. They shot her in the face. There was British doctors. They took her back to England. Um, they performed surgery on her. Since then, she's written a book. She's appeared uh, with everyone, everywhere, and been a global symbol of what women can do. And she's quite a young girl. She's a teenager. Um, some people were writing that it was good she didn't win the Nobel Prize because she might win it down the line, and I agree with that. Uh, keep this in mind when you, when you think about Malala. One, her inconceivable courage in the face of every type of oppression and absolute um, dire physical threat against her. Two, she cannot go back to the country where she lived and where she loves. She says she wants to go back to Pakistan. She even misses some of the garbage dumps and shit like that. I was reading an article by her yesterday. And in any case, um, she can't because the Taliban has sworn to kill her if she comes back. So understand that mindset and understand that there are people in the world who are like that, that want to kill a teenage girl because she wants to educate herself. And by the way, as Malala points out, uh, so effusively and so accurately, the Koran uh, insists upon the education of women. So why the Taliban so uh, recalcitrant in that regard? They are absolutely standing against their own religion by uh, wanting to oppress her. In any case, um, her, advo her advocacy for girls inspires hope around the world, and she's just getting started. Uh, this is one I think I know you'll enjoy, and her name is unbelievably difficult to pronounce. Uh, Nadishta Tolokonikova uh, of Pussy Riot. Um, uh, they were released at the end of the year. Vladimir Putin decided to do this kind of showy amnesty on everyone, and uh, she was released. Um, she sent out letters describing the brutality of prison life. There were two other girls in the group Pussy Riot. They were a punk band who sang an obscene song uh, about the Russian government in a church and were incarcerated for it. Um, Putin, because he knows he's had a shitty year, and let's get down to what's what. <laughs> They want to have the Olympics in a month's time, and the Olympics are in Russia, and the whole world is up in arms about how unbelievably homophobic and what a bullshit fucking call this is, and the fact that Russia is still wildly homophobic, that Putin is homophobic, and that they're a repressive government that throws teenage girls in jail for singing a punk song in a church. Um, even America, in our wisdom, doesn't have that many teenage girls incarcerated for singing punk songs. <laughs> Uh, if they're raped, we don't bother to investigate if the uh, uh, purported rapist is a Heisman Trophy winner. But, <laughs> thank you. Uh, uh, on her release from prison, she fearlessly shouted Russia without Putin. She and Alyokina uh, dismissed the release in a public relations stunt as a president trying to improve his image ahead of the upcoming Olympic Games. How do you say it? Soshi? Soki? Soshi. Soshi. <laughs> what a giant corporate boondoggle so she is much like the World Cup but I'm going to watch anyway I like the Winter Olympics that's exactly what it was the Delhi rape victim as 2012 was coming to an end a horrific gang rape occurred in the Indian capital capturing the world's attention over the following months and more importantly awakening the Indian people to the crisis of violence against women she was a 23 year old physiotherapy student she was gravely injured and died of her wounds in 2013 her tragic case galvanized Indian women and men and she shall not be forgotten last year was the year of that and I think that's one of the most important things we can remember at the beginning of 2014 is that it happened at the end of 2012 and yet by the end of the year that wasn't included in all of the round Roundups as much as it had been earlier in the year. All of the 1,100 people in that Bangladeshi um, garment factory collapse, almost all of them were women. And uh, the woman who set the world on fire, and not to mention the Steubenville case and all the cases here in America, uh, was a rape victim in India as well. Uh, she mentions Angela Merkel, good for her. Uh, Hillary Clinton, um, 
Uh, This is the part, the sentence I like that she wrote. Whatever she decides about Hillary, whether she's going to run for president, she's already answered the question as a woman qualified to be president in the United States with an emphatic, you are crazy to even ask, exclamation point. I'm going to remove the exclamation point. (laughs) And I question the diction a little bit. You you are crazy to even ask? You're crazy you are to ask? What if Cuddle Zockle had said it? Oh, to ask you're crazy. <laughs> uh, Michelle Bachelet, who we've discussed in a previous show, uh, she's the president of Chile and ran against a woman whose father tortured her and her mother and her father to death in their regime and then came back and was president of Chile. Uh, she mentions Sheryl Sandberg, the boss of uh, Facebook. Now, I, because she wrote Lean In, and you can feel how you want about Sheryl Sandberg and Lean In, um, this is the sentence that I took a grave ex- exception to um, in this woman, uh, uh, woman's CNN article. She writes, um, Sheryl Sandberg, she urged for women to push a little harder. Equality's not yet here, she said. Mm, okay. I agree with all that. Inspiring post-feminist women to break barriers. I don't know what post-feminist women are. Because, thank you, um, I don't see women as being post-feminist because there is no equality yet. When there is, then we can be post-feminist. And then this is the sentence that so CNN, and you'll recognize it as a CNN sentiment because you've watched CNN and you've seen it, and you've seen the glib generalities that they pass off as wisdom and news. Sandberg may yet make feminism cool once again. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the the CEO of a corporation is the one who's going to make feminism cool again. Because I forgot it wasn't cool anymore when a teenage girl who got shot in the face fucking stood up to the fucking world and shit like that. And the doubt, yeah, right? It's the most fatuous fucking sentiment. Why did you repeat it then, Greg? It hacked me off a little when I read it tonight. Let's move on. Uh, Beyonce and then the Saudi drivers. The women driver changed in Saudi Arabia. Uh, much of it unraveled in 2013, the Arab Spring. It had never quite made the kingdom of Saudi Arabia with the concept of democracy so distant that women are in many respects treated as children. Among the many restrictions they face is the particularly crippling law that bans them from driving cars. And we're here in Los Angeles where no one is banned from driving a car, whether they possess insurance or the ability to drive a car or even a legal car that they own. Everyone drives cars here no matter what happens all the time. So you can understand how repressive it might be that the women of Saudi Arabia are uh, dispossessed of this uh, act of their own volition um, and like that. Uh, ooh, where'd it go? go? It went to the back of the page. Uh, so she includes them as well. And we'll move on past that. Let's go to the medical marijuana and then we'll probably fuck off into this good night. Uh, it's not medical anymore if you go to Denver. This is from the New York Times. Uh, They lined up before dawn, and in the snow on Wednesday, baby boomers from Nebraska, retirees from Denver, and a young man who had driven all day from Ohio. I love (laughs) (laughs) Newspaper writing's awesome. Uh, You know what? I think that I should read this as Hal Holbrook doing Mark Twain. (laughs) Some were longtime marijuana users. Some had been arrested for marijuana possession. 
They were among the hundreds of tourists and residents across Colorado who eagerly took part in the country's first ever sales of state-regulated recreational marijuana. They walked into 40 shops from downtown Denver to snowy ski resorts, flashed their identifications, and, comma, in a single transaction, comma, took part in what supporters hailed as a... Anne. I would say Anne. <laughs> he says a historic. Anne historic. Supporters hailed as an historic departure from drug laws focused on punishment and prohibition. <laughs> it makes you giddy to say it. I went into a store and bought pot, Linda Walmsley said. <laughs> as she walked out of the Denver Kush Club. It's the Denver Kush Club! Denver Kush Club! It's the Denver Kush Club! Denver Kush Club! <laughs> where a line of shivering customers stretched down the block. Why were they shivering? They didn't have enough THC in their veins. <laughs> Tis fearful cold out here tonight. Fearful cold. <laughs> dab, dab. Oh, that took the edge off. 20 states allow medical marijuana. Wait a minute. This is the New York Times. Let me read you the first two words of the sentence. While about 20 states... I, I don't mean to be a dick, but Fat Swaller said, is you is or is you ain't. About? 20 or not 20? 19? 18? 21? Jesus Christ. You know, it's about... <coughs> it's about... About 20. Allow medical marijuana. Voters in Colorado and Washingtonian state decided last year to go one step further. Yeah, yeah, we know all that part. Let's go to the good part. <laughs> to skeptics. It represented a grand folly that they predicted would tarnish the image of a state whose official song is John Denver's Rocky Mountain High. <laughs> And lead to higher teenage drug use and more impaired driving. <laughs> the governor and the Denver mayor both uh, opposed legalization and stayed away from the celebrations and inaugural sales on Wednesday. Many people who lined up on Wednesday said they did not have medical cards and had relied on drug dealers or friends with medical marijuana to satisfy their cravings. High prices. 50 to 60 for an eighth. Double the price of medical, but it was worthwhile to avoid the risk. And this is the sentence I wanted to read to you. Let's go to the skeptics just for a brief moment here. The skeptics this week have included, and, I'm, I, and I own, I, this is through my own perusal of the interweb and life as we know it. Nancy Grace is against medical marijuana. David Brooks of the New York Times wrote an editorial about it, which was the most unbelievably privileged, yuppified piece of shit I have ever fucking had the unprivileged... 
Talk about a fucking ossified waffle of fossilized fucking unbelievable white man detritus from the Paleozoic fucking era. His rationale for why marijuana should not be legalized in Colorado was because him and his college buddies used to get high on it and it made them dumb. He went to like fucking Yale and shit. And he doesn't think anyone else should avail themselves like when Mayor Bloomberg took over New York and banned smoking everywhere. Mayor, Bloom- Mayor Bloomberg had smoked for fucking 40 years but quit and then decided no one else should get to do it. That's not what fucking freedom and liberty is, ladies and gentlemen. The fact that I did something for a long time and I no longer do it does not prohibit me from prohibiting you. You know what I'm saying? I hate that fucking rationale more than life at fucking self. And I and and when white privileged guys come down with these edicts and Nancy Grace. <laughs> but Nancy Grace has to live with that hairdo every day. <laughs> if you were sitting there and people came by and went, are you a golden marmoset? <laughs> And you went, no, I'm fighting for those who cannot fight for themselves. (laughs) Then you would know what it would be like to wear a fringe leather jacket and have bizarre twins when you're 50. (laughs) I can't believe they're skeptics of this. I heard today, and this was simply anecdotally, that they'd run out of marijuana. I don't know if that's true. Someone just said it to me today. Someone went, did you hear they ran out of dope in Colorado because everybody was buying it? <laughs> like, mm, yeah, I heard it from you just now. It doesn't, it doesn't seem true in any way. <laughs> but the fact that we're even hearing that now speaks to how powerful this is and how great it is. When, mar- when, when, when uh, recreational marijuana is, uh, and it's being sold for exorbitant fucking prices, by the way, and if you come up from California, you can only buy uh, a quarter, is it, or an eighth? quarter if you live there you can buy an oz which is nice because uh, you know every and there's no tracking evidently in the stores that sell it so you can go to one store buy an oz go to another store you know what i mean uh spoiler alert don't let me ruin don't let me ruin the colorado dope thing for you <laughs> What I'm getting at is this. When the giant profits are realized and these states realize what a money spinner it is, these are the states that I believe will be the next to come down. Cali, but not as soon as you want, but Cali will. Alaska, uh, Oregon, uh, and fucking dig me now, New Mexico and Nevada. I know it sounds crazy, but New Mexico and Nevada might fucking do this. Nevada, not like in the next six months, but like it, it can happen. Yeah. But Nevada, but they have Las Vegas and, the, and organized crime and, and all the gambling. And um, you saw the fucking lines for dope the first day in Colorado. Um, it's a spinner of money. And the fact that you can go home and drink all the fucking alcohol you want and kill yourself every night uh, it should be the corollary to why marijuana, uh, 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 aside from obvious reasons, marijuana is a lot less destructive in a lot of different ways uh, than alcohol and a lot less effective in a short term. Uh, I'm joking, of course, you guys. Jesus Christ. <laughs> The skeptics really harsh my mellow. That's all I have to say. Uh, It's not going to lead to kids smoking it. You know what leads to kids smoking it? Fucking living in a shitty neighborhood and having nothing to fucking do is what leads. Curiosity. That's what leads to kids smoking it. I came from a white, you know, lower middle class family. I I wanted to smoke it. And then when I did, I was like, At first, I was judgmental. When I was 15, I was like, I don't know why anyone would want to alter their consciousness. And then at 16, I was like, now I see why people would want to alter their consciousness. 
I'm not saying it's for everyone, but I'm also saying that the whole argument that uh, making it legal in any way is going to... I mean, when I was in Colorado, they were so excited. uh, And Kansas is next to them. And Kansas, by the way, is not going to have (laughs) medical or recreational marijuana in the near future. They're fighting against a lot of issues. They have a lot of internal conflict. And I think that's where it is. And someone, uh, Nancy Grace said... Smoking dope makes people fat and lazy. Colorado is the least obese state in the union. (laughs) True fact. (laughs) And if you get stoned and think about it, I mean, you'd think they'd be in Maggiano's all the time getting a fucking special or whatever. (laughs) But they don't, buddy. Because they're skiing and shit. Seattle's first socialist council member sworn in. Rushama Sawant promises to fight for a $15 an hour minimum wage, affordable housing, and taxes on the super rich. Uh, New Seattle council member uh, Kashama Sawant celebrates. I will do my utmost. Yeah, she was elected to the Seattle City Council. She's a socialist. We don't have any socialist politicians in America. She's a socialist. She was elected. It's so great. I will do my utmost to represent the disenfranchised and the excluded, the poor and the oppressed, by fighting for a $15 an hour minimum wage, affordable housing, and taxing the super rich for a massive expansion of public transit and education, said Sawant, 41. Here in Seattle, political pundits are asking about me. Will she compromise? Can she work with others? Of course. I'll meet and discuss with representatives of the establishment. But when I do... I will bring the needs and aspirations of working class people to every table I sit at, no matter who is seated across from me, Sawant said. On Monday, the mood was celebratory and resolute. I wear the badge of socialist with honor, she exclaimed, because newspapers have people exclaiming. Um, you never hear anyone say any of these things. We had an election last, uh, two years ago. A uh, year before last. And you saw Mitt Romney. You saw everybody running in California. You saw uh, Barack Obama. No one said, I will do my utmost to represent the disenfranchised and the excluded, the poor and the oppressed by fighting for a $15 an hour minimum wage, affordable housing, and taxing the super rich. No one says this because it's unpopular, because the media doesn't want anyone to say this, and because the corporations will not have this as a position or a platform, and because the government and system as we know it do not allow this. The fact that she's been elected and is part of this, and by the way, Washington State has the highest minimum wage of any state in the United States, uh, is fabulous. And... Does that mean you want America to be socialist, Greg? Um, So what if I did? (laughs) I don't think socialism is the answer any more than any other ism or any ism or any other belief system is the answer to anything. I only know this, that rampant laissez-faire capitalism has brought us to this juncture where we're about two seconds away from having all the corporations call all the shots for the government every moment of every goddamn second of every day and, and and put us all away forever and ever in a closet until they need us as revenue flow. They'll give some of us enough freedom to carry on what they want to do. But I don't see any golden bright future in their fucking agenda. So yes, I perceive that Edward Snowden and uh, young Miss Kwama are, are, are heroes in our society for even introducing the notion 
uh, that the government is not something to be trusted and that corporations are not uh, people and uh, that they don't have emotions, um, that they should be jailed for their transgressions, much like we're jailed for our transgressions, and that if we're all on the same playing field, that that might be a better way to fucking go. Okay. Uh, here was a letter written to me. It was a, it was a tweet today. And who tweeted it to me? God damn it. Uh, well, anyway, it's from Ars Technica. And um, I'll, I'll catch your name another time. Uh, he wrote to me um, that my podcast was getting through because I was complaining that all the boards of all the tech companies are all white guys. Apple um, uh, Industries. A little month before Apple's annual shareholder meeting. This is from today's uh, Ars Technica. Two major investment groups say they're disappointed with the fact the company has zero females and minorities at the top levels of the company. There's a general problem with diversity at the highest echelon of Apple, said Jonas Cron, director of shareholder advocacy at the Boston-based Trillium, in an interview with Bloomberg. How's that for a lot of sentences of giant fucking fiscal entities in one, <laughs> in one fucking phrase? How many were named there? Uh, Jonas Crone, director of shareholder advocacy. That means the people who own shares in companies have a, uh, an entity that is for shareholder advocacy. By the way, when companies like J.P. Morgan Chase and stuff pay these giant fines, they're tax-free to them, and they've negotiated with them with the government. And it's the shareholders who pay those fines, and that's why there's shareholder advocacy groups. Many of you are like, what's a shareholder? What's advocacy for shareholders? <laughs> giant corporations are owned by lots of people with money, and they buy into them, and that's who these people are. These are shareholders. Mm. If you've seen the movie Wall Street, you've seen the meeting. Um, it's no different now. It's just different. <laughs> this isn't a problem far beyond Apple. A recent report by Catalyst, a nonprofit research group, says 17% of the Fortune 500 board members were women and 15% hold the CEO spot. So if you think there's equality and when guys start talking about women and shit like that and how there's equality in the world and how women should shut the fuck up and make them a sandwich or whatever and all those funny things... Understand that in the seat of power, which is more than government, the Fortune 500 companies are the seat of power for our little white people world that we're talking about here, not for the whole world, but for a good deal of the corporate world. Um, it's not, and, and, and Apple is going to open up their board to more women. They have one woman executive. Uh, quickly, and then we'll go. Chris Cluey was on Deadspring this week. Chris Cluey was a punter with the Minnesota Vikings. He's been an open advocate uh, of gay marriage. Chris Cluey was cut from his team. And he wrote a piece on Deadspin that many of you may have uh, read. And it was called, I was an NFL player until I was fired by two cowards and a bigot. Um, the coaches on his team uh, asked him not to keep speaking uh, and be outspoken about his uh, proponency of gay marriage. And they uh, effectively... You'll read the article. Uh, he's a punter, and therefore statistics are very important for punters. And uh, he was cut from the team and made room for another punter, basically because of his political views. This happened uh, today, the TwinCities.com, from the Pioneer Press. Chris Cluey, who claims he was released by the Vikings last offseason for being outspoken on same-sex marriage, and has who accused an assistant coach of homophobic comments, has retained legal counsel. The Vikings announced Friday the former punter's claims would be investigated independently. That means they don't want to go to court. <laughs> That's what that means. I speak newsies. Representing Cluey during the matter will be Minneapolis lawyer Clayton Hallinan and the, Center for, and the National Center for Lesbian Rights, who have taken up his cause. Uh, he posted last Thursday on Deadspin. You should read the article. It's quite interesting. We've taken up uh, Chris Cluey ever since uh, the beginning of his advocacy for gay marriage. Minnesota did finally pass it and has uh, legalized gay marriage now. 
and all that jazz. Oh, yeah. It's time to close. Uh, I didn't realize what time it was. Normally, do, we do questions and stuff like that. But I just wanted to leave you with this thought. Uh, uh, and we'll come back to this in Philadelphia when we get there. For all the bad things that happen in the world and for all the things that seem like they're bad. Uh, and, for instance, the sheriff of L.A. Um, resigned tonight under a cloud and is facing massive investigation. And we'll have more to say about Sheriff Baca on another episode. I meant to get to it tonight, but I'm so mesmerized by the sound of my own voice and the hilarity of my fucking unbelievable stories about grade school uh, film strips that I, I can barely get to anything else. I wanted to leave you with the notion that there's lots of heroes in the world and lots of people who sacrifice different things. Uh, sacrificing your career as an NFL player, as a punter, doesn't seem like a huge sacrifice unless that was your entire identity and you'd spent your whole life uh, being a professional football player. Uh, if, being Malala is one thing. We can't all be that. But we can be what we are. And I think the world's getting better every day because everyone is trying to fulfill that expectation of themselves. It's a very difficult road to hell. And as, uh, as they say in Zen, the obstacles are the path. Uh, but as Leonard Cohen says, uh, uh, where the cracks are, that's where the light shines through. So I want to wish you all a very merry 2014. And thank you for listening to tonight's show. You've been the smartest man in the world. My name is Greg Poots. I'm the smartest man in the world. We'll see you very soon. I wish you nothing but love and peace. May every page that you turn be a satchel page. May every double link speed be a full Papa Bell. And if you have to buy Barnes, make sure you vote for the Hall of Fame for Barry Barnes. Thanks, you guys.